Welcome to CII Radio. I'm Luke Holloway, editor at the Chartered Insurance Institute. In this episode, we're talking to Shane Halfpenny Ray and Gemma Siddle about how to build and rebuild financial resilience. In this episode of the podcast, we're talking about how to build and rebuild financial resilience. And we're joined by Shane Halfpenny Ray, Policy and Public Affairs Advisor at the CII, and Gemma Siddle, Director of Client Services at Eldon Financial Planning and PFS Chartered Financial Planner of the Year 2019. To find out more about this podcast and for useful links, go to thejournal.cii.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Here's our conversation with Gemma and Shane. Hello, Gemma, and hello, Shane. Thank you for joining us on CII Radio today. Thank you for inviting me. Hi, Luke. You're very, very welcome. So um, thanks for finding some time to speak with us. So firstly, for some of our listeners that might not be as familiar with the topic, when we say financial resilience, Gemma, um, what exactly are we talking about? Financial resilience, it's all about withstanding life events that could impact your money in some way. So usually with regard to any income you have or your assets, your savings, investments, your house, etc. And these life events typically come along unexpectedly. They can be things such as job losses, debilitating illnesses, splitting up with a partner, etc, etc. Inevitably, anything of that size of a change in situation will have an impact on your finances. So so financial resilience is about arranging your finances in such a way that you can tolerate these and make the best of the situation you find yourself in. Great. So, of course, at the moment, we're in a rather unusual situation with the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. Why is financial resilience so important to society and to individuals at this time? I think to use the phrase I've been hearing all over the place, it's uncertain times, it's unprecedented times at the moment. And whilst life events can impact people at any time, the situation at the moment is that more and more people than usual are facing sudden changes to their life in all sorts of different ways. The horrific reality of the situation is that people are passing away. They're dying suddenly and prematurely in higher numbers than they have been. And that's a very scary situation to be in emotionally, never mind the financial impact upon their family, their friends, the people in their businesses. And on top of that, there's the economic uncertainty that's coming along. The lockdowns inevitably caused closure of all sorts of businesses and shops and the slowing of the economy. We've seen that come out in the figures. And whilst the government provision has been quick, and generally it has been good, while it hasn't reached every corner that it would have been helpful in, it's provided a certain amount of certainty for people who are furloughed or getting support with income. But that won't last forever. And the reality is that some people will be facing things such as redundancies. There will be major expenses incurred that weren't expected. And the reality of the lockdown as well with families, it could lead to family breakup or it could lead to increasing number of births, according to some of the figures that I've uh, seen predicted over the next year. Sorry, can I just chime in as well? Um, in terms of the context of what Gemma is saying, this is uh, building on a real weakness anyway in people's finances. So uh, I was just 
kind of in preparation for this, I was looking at the Money and Pension Service. They've launched a, a financial resilience challenge for 2030. Uh, and some of the kind of figures that they're quoting about people's economic picture just before this crisis happened are quite stark. So 11 and a half million people have less than £100 in savings to fall back on. 9 million people are using credit to pay for food or essential bills. 22 million people say they don't know enough to plan for their retirement. So obviously, we have the crisis that's hit our economy and our society anyway, but we are you know, starting from a position of weakness following the financial crisis in 2008, the 12 years that we've been trying to pay back some of the, the costs that have been associated with that stagnant wages, uh, a changing economy for goods and services, uh, and you know, new forms of employment, as well as the loss of some protections that have come with that. Issues around sick pay and paid holiday. So really, you know, even if this crisis wasn't happening, financial resilience would be more important than ever. But because it is, I think it's a topic that really cannot be underestimated. There are things that can be done to help a situation, however dire it may feel in the moment, I think. And one thing that seems to be lacking in the the national curriculum, the education of this country, seems to be around financial education for people, particularly teenagers. And it's very easy once you start down a certain path to get into situations where you do build up debt and you do get forced into borrowing and that makes somebody vulnerable to problem debt. And that situation can very quickly spiral out of control. But if a person has the tools available and the time available, it could be relatively not so much easy, but manageable to stop a situation going from bad to worse by taking a few structured steps and to help protect themselves and their family from the worst of the impact of these unexpected situations. Absolutely, Gemma. And what you're alluding to there is obviously um, education is key, which hopefully we're starting to see more of. And of course, you know, during this ongoing period of the pandemic, it's been a particularly difficult time and we know every individual is unique. But are there certain things that people can do to help build or rebuild financial resilience if they haven't thought about it possibly before? Yes, yes, I believe there is. One of the key things, and many people will have heard this over the years, is that cash is king. Having a cash reserve, however small in the bank, can help some people through life's unexpected situations. And I think there's been a culture shift over the last few decades. Certainly, I'm in my mid-30s of my parents' generation took pride in building up their cash and their savings over the years. But I think long periods of easy credit and a lack of financial education around it has perhaps changed manners and behaviours. But building up a cash reserve, however small, can make quite significant changes to situations where there might be a period out of unemployment or there could be an unexpected expense. And it doesn't have to be huge amounts. I had a friend a few years ago who was a single mum of two daughters and she said she spent so much time worrying about what would happen if the boiler went or if she suddenly needed something extra for the girls' schooling. And I encouraged her just to put £20 a month aside, just £5 a week in a little pot at the time she didn't use the savings account because it seemed like too big a job to do it and a year later she took pride in the fact she'd increased her savings over that period she hadn't really noticed it but more than anything it took a huge worry away from her and it stopped her feeling like she was living on the edge all of the time and lifting that mental burden off her helped with her coping strategies 
And I do think it can make a big difference if it's at all possible to have some cash reserve in the bank. If there isn't much cash available, there's other things that you can do to protect yourself. Ensuring the vital parts of your finances has got to be one of the most valuable things you can do for yourself. And certainly if you've got any financial dependent, because if you don't have the money in the bank, the insurance policies are designed to support you if something happens. So things like life cover to make sure any debts are covered so you don't leave your family in debt. Things like health insurance, so critical illness insurance or insurance to protect your income can all provide valuable cover right at the time you really need it. And if you don't have much in savings in the bank, then you arguably have much more need for these kind of covers in place. As your savings grow over the years, then there is perhaps less need to insure. But the weird paradox of it is that quite often people say they they can't afford this insurance, they don't need this insurance. Um, And I read a, a survey recently that said that 9 million people in the UK had their pets insured but less than four and a half million people had their own health or income insured. And arguably, the pet owner's income is is potentially more valuable to the household than covering a one-off vet bill for a pet. So sometimes it is just about priorities. Sometimes it's about awareness and control. And one of the most common things I, I hear is that I don't have scope to save. And actually... For all, not many of us really enjoy it. Budgeting is really good practice anyway. Understanding what you spend your money on, not necessarily with a view to reducing it or criticizing yourself, but just understanding where your money goes and what it costs you to live and what you need to live and what you spend on leisure and how much you spend on different areas of it can be quite an eye opening exercise for most people. And for those whose income has stopped, then that gives you a good ground for working, writing down all the bills when they're due, what you need to cover for food and other essentials. And you can understand how much of it you're spending on leisure and things that you are able to change if you ever get into a situation that you do need to change it. And that in itself can help people. So I'd always encourage people, just give yourself an hour to think what would happen if, what would happen if you lost your job, your income stopped. What would be the repercussions of that? Would you still be able to to pay your rent or your mortgage? Could you live off a partner's earnings? Could you reduce your lifestyle to manage on what you have in the bank? And how long would that last you? And the same with health questions as well. What would happen if? Because the answer is different for every person in the country. No matter what you have in the bank, no matter what insurance policies you have in place, your personal situation is going to be different from everybody else's in the country. And understanding it can help you, help give you the control that you need to make your way forward. Absolutely, Gemma. And it certainly starts with that awareness and, you know, taking that time to sit down and think about your own personal situation. And it's good to hear that there are some quite simple practical steps that people can take to, to begin thinking about this. We've said that financial resilience is something everyone needs to think about. Are there any particular groups of people that this is most relevant to or that this does affect worse? I think, as you say, it's probably relevant to to everybody, but perhaps in different ways. If you're a single independent lady who's living on her own, then you only have yourself to worry about in that situation. It might not be appropriate to be worrying about things like life cover for your mortgage, because if you have no dependents and you pass away, who's going to worry about it? 
Um, the mortgage company could sell a property if there isn't a clause that you need life cover on the mortgage. But in that situation, you'd be unlikely to, to have any backup if you took ill and you were unable to work. So considering some kind of health insurance to cover such a situation could be more relevant. And that's a very different situation if you're a breadwinner of a family of four. And again, if your income ceases in that situation, there may not be scope to replace it by changes in expenditure for the family or changes in earning from somewhere else. And on top of that, you potentially have the roof over your head threatened, so to speak. So making sure you've got protection in place to cover the people that really need it and those that are reliant upon you is really important in that situation. And there's other areas to consider as well in terms of people who are vulnerable to to financial life events. Mental health issues always come into the situation as well. Understanding what kind of person you are and how you will react in certain situations can be very important. If you're someone who will naturally bury their head in the sand and go on till the very last straw um, without looking at it and without making plans, then that could leave you in a much more vulnerable situation than if you are someone who likes to understand the pros and cons of everything and who can foresee at which point your capital may run out or your savings may run out and you might need help. And that could give you the time to seek help as opposed to somebody who perhaps isn't in a situation to to feel able to do that assessment of their situation. Great. So in terms of seeking help, what can the insurance and financial planning professions do to help support customers and, and help them to be more aware of this and to, to start building a stronger financial resilience? I think a lot of it is just getting good information out into the public domain. I think a lot of what I've said already today is surrounded more so around sensible practices in terms of managing your budgeting, your income, your outgoings, considering life's what ifs. A lot of that could be done on your own, having a professional support you and ask questions and assess your situation could certainly be helpful. But the first steps are just sensible, common sense steps. And I think there's a lot of information out there if you look for it. The profession itself is really coming into its own in this situation. Certainly for the financial planning profession, the work we've done in the past for clients to build their financial resilience is coming into its own in exactly this situation where there's claims on policies needing to be made. But there is there's money there to be claimed to support the family who have these policies in place already. And going forward, I think it's a fantastic opportunity for us to, to shine as a profession and coming to its own and provide the reassurance that, that the public needs in this situation. I don't know if you have anything to add to that, Shane? Yeah, so um, obviously exactly what Gemma said. I think the only thing that I would add was, and this is just largely because of some of the work that the CII and PFS are engaged in, is that there's specific things that that we can do to do more for people with disabilities and long-term illnesses or who fit in the the kind of protected characteristics within the Equality Act. So obviously assessing whether or not, you know, if you're a a protection provider that you can cover someone's needs. And if you can't, then, 
then, you know, adequately signposting them to specialist providers that can. That's a simple thing, really, uh, in essence, but it's the height of professionalism to, you know, try and ensure that that everyone can get the the cover that they need. I think it's also um, just financial planners have uh, such a strong relationship with their clients that they'll be able to spot someone's vulnerabilities um, better than than anyone else. So it is just kind of as, as Gemma says, signposting to, to the help that's available to them when when they need it, really. But yeah, I think that's, that's all I would add. And Shane, continuing along that thread, is there a specific work that the Chartered Insurance Institute and, and the Personal Finance Society are doing in this area at the moment? Yeah, definitely. So I suppose that the start fundamentally at just kind of the work that we're involved in now as we speak, which is highlighting the, the fantastic work the members are doing from, you know, all across the insurance and personal finance professions that they're working with people day to day and advising them on their financial well-being. Uh, and so any role that we can play in highlighting that in, in content for, for others to read is, is I think, the fundamental piece of work that, that we do day to day. And that's, you know, through great publications such as the journal, personal finance professional, and obviously podcasts and radio. But in terms of specific activities or campaigns, um, one of the, the key pieces of my, my own work uh, on the policy side of things is working with the Cabinet Office Sponsored Access to Insurance Working Group. Uh, this is a, it's a body that was set set up by the DWP originally, uh, the Department for Work and Pensions, uh, and now has uh, the Cabinet Office as a sponsor body. Um, and this was, uh, it's led by Johnny Timpson, a, a Scottish Widows, who's the insurance profession disability champion. And this is focused on expanding protection insurance for people with disabilities and long-term illnesses. Uh, and our role at CII is to inject uh, the, the professional focus into these discussions. We chair the, the professionalism work stream within that group. Uh, and that's really prominently focused on ways that we can support insurance professionals, extend that cover and improve engagement and promote the good practice that exists within the market already, which also includes our focus on, on trying to allow people to access careers in insurance uh, and personal finance when they have disabilities or long-term illnesses as well. So that we've put out uh, inclusive workplace guides, specific guides, on people trying to support managers and managing colleagues or employees with autism spectrum disorders. And we think holistically this work will really kind of champion that support for people trying to get a better understanding of their financial position or trying to just engage with the work that we do anyway uh, when they are in these protected groups. But wider than that, we've also been a, a member of or a long-standing member of the Building Resilient Homes Working Group, which is focused on exactly that of uh, improving the financial resilience of households across the UK. Um, so this is something that we've we've played a part to for, for a number of months. There's also wider initiatives that we've been a part of, the Insuring Women's Future Initiative, which was incredibly successful at highlighting the structural weaknesses in a woman's finances throughout key points of her lifetime and ways that these weaknesses could be addressed uh, and their finances strengthened. On the back of that, we've got the new Insuring Futures campaign, which is primarily focused more on engaging people with their finances throughout their life. So developing specific guidance for periods of their life in their 20s, their 30s, their 40s, their 50s, but as well as uh, engaging people with the, the question around adult social care uh, and how insurance and personal finance can support people at these points in their life and doing so leveraging our membership of, of financial advisors to, to engage with these people as well. 
and then probably lastly, I would, I would just wanted to to flag the um, my personal finance skills, um, which is uh, an initiative to help young people understand money and finance. And we've just launched the online version, I believe, which is building on an existing educational program uh, in which we partner with schools uh, and the sessions that teach kids about their finances is, is led by our fantastic members across the UK. So, I mean, there, there probably are a few bits and pieces that I may have forgotten there, but um, plenty of content for us to sing anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to admit, just from my perspective as a obviously a member of the CII and the PFS, they've been doing some absolutely sterling work in getting financial information out into the school environment for quite a number of years now. And it's one of the things that I see teachers are very, very keen to implement in the school system. I think they're aware of that it is something that can add learning to, to the public as a whole and also encourage more young people into our profession. And it would be very, very good if we can just start to break down the nervousness that still exists in our culture in terms of talking about finances, because I do think that's one of the big barriers that's in place. People are shy to talk about their finances. It's it's not the done thing. <laughs> you know, people often are more keen to talk about their health and their finances, and, and that creates a situation where bottling situations up until it's perhaps too late can come into play. Whereas initiatives like talking about finances through schools and all of the different support that Shane's just talked about there can make such a huge difference. Every little bit chips away at it and makes these conversations easier for people to have, be it families within their home environment or with professionals in terms of getting getting the support and professional advice and what they need in place. So it's brilliant work. Excellent. Thank you, Gemma. Yeah, hopefully today has certainly contributed to that conversation. And we'd certainly encourage members to engage with the CII and PFS websites and through social media and look for more on online resources on, on the subject. So thank you both, Gemma and Shane, for joining us today. I'm sure our listeners will find it very, very helpful. And it's fantastic to get your, your take on, on a very important topic. So thank you for joining us on CII Radio today. Thank you. Thanks very much, guys. And thank you for listening to this episode of CII Radio. Uh, if you'd like to find out more, you can visit thejournal.cii.co.uk forward slash podcasts, or you can follow us on Twitter at CII Group. So until next time, stay safe and thank you for listening to CII Radio. 